Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're taking on a topic that relates to organizational health. And this is something that you may or may not have thought all that much about lately, but the organizations, the entities that surround us have a profound bearing not only on our financial health, but on our emotional, our spiritual, and our physical health. We've got someone who's expertly qualified to speak with us on that topic. It's Paul Radoff. Paul is a financial management consultant, among other things. Paul, it is great to have you with us on our show. It's great to be here, David. Tell us, first of all, a little bit about what your background is and then why you're so passionate about this, uh, this concept. Well, I've been uh, consulting uh, for small, medium-sized businesses for 35 years, something around that, mm-hmm. in uh, Southern California. And uh, I've noticed over, over all of that time that the companies that I've worked with, and I've worked with hundreds of companies in that period of time, those companies that were successful are the ones that really took advantage of, of relationships with either their customers, their suppliers. They had good relationships with their employees. And, you know, and when they faltered, and they all falter from time to time, it was always these other people that came to help them and rescue them and get them back on course. So... I learned very early that, an organ- that, that a company to be successful really needs more than just the owner. It needs all the people that work there. It needs the support of their suppliers, the communities they operate in, and their customers. So it's a, it's a team effort. And, that's, and the challenge is how do you get that team all on the same page? How do you get them all supporting you and working for you? And that's always been something of interest to me. This is such a great topic because a lot of the folks that tune in, of course, are listening from across Indian country. They may be working for tribally owned entities. They may be involved in a tribal council. And as you're speaking about relationships, I mean, this is definitely resonating with that group. But as you pointed out, no matter where you work, if relationships are not being prioritized, this is not a good sign for the long-term success of any business, is it? No, no, it's a, it's a big problem. And, and organizations have a hard time really corralling all those different ideas. And when, when companies don't have a clearly stated purpose, where, they understand, where everybody understands where they're headed and what they're up to, that gets confused. And it uh, turns out that different groups see purpose very differently. And all of a sudden, you've got all these competing interests and goals, and it's very hard to get an operating business effective in that kind of environment. So it sounds like one of the keys to success of any organization, at least in your years of experience, is uh, something that you have called purposeful behavior. Can you break that down a little bit more for us? Sure. So when I talk about purposeful behavior, it's really, it's based on a couple of of actually marrying two ideas. One is around purpose, being clear, the reason for the organization to be in business in the first place. There is no reason to organize unless you're going to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. And it, whatever that is, it's, it's a solution to some problem. So 
So it's getting very clear about the purpose. And then the second idea is around what I call stakeholder world, which is the environment in which an organization actually operates in. All of the individuals and organizations that impact or are impacted by your organization are what I call your stakeholder world, not just your employees, but the communities you operate in, your customers, your suppliers, your, the professionals you use, and, of course, your employees. But you can just imagine an organization out there and all the people that you touch, depending upon what kind of product or service you provide, it can be pretty large. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you put together your stakeholder world and your purpose, you try to figure out, like, how do I, how can I harness the power and resources of my stakeholder world, which is really the environment in which your organization operates in. And if you don't have a, 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 a supporting environment, your organization will not thrive. So there's one simple, this is all based on one simple idea, one simple uh, premise, actually, that if an organization could actually take on a common purpose that was meaningful and important to its stakeholder world, then it would have an opportunity to actually harness the power and resources of that stakeholder world. Hmm. That's the key. You know, some of this is definitely connecting, and others are thinking, well, you know, you're talking about purpose. I mean, we make boxes. We make crates. I mean, of course that's our purpose. Or a lot of people, you know, we're, we run a plumbing company, and we don't need to sit down and talk about our purpose. I mean, we're here to make sure people have, you know, good plumbing that, that functions. But as I'm listening to the dialogue, I think we need to really see some real-life examples. Share us some stories, Paul, where you've seen companies maybe either have or not have this sense of purpose, this sense of an awareness of the stakeholder world, and they've either been successful or unsuccessful. Can you help us see it through some examples? Sure. So you, you said something very interesting. You know, maybe I'm a plumbing company or, or something. What, what you're really looking at, when people think of, like, what's your business, they think of what you do. Mm-hmm but not what it stands for, what it's committed mm. to. And people get confused about with purpose and with the business model, the thing they do to fulfill on that purpose. And in many cases, companies aren't even aware of what their purpose is. I'll give you an example. I have a client that's a large staffing company, and they, and they, they provide crossing guards across the United States mm. mm-hmm. and uh, school crossing guards. Mm-hmm. And they're actually known as the crossing guard company. And they've always thought of themselves as a crossing guard company. But what they didn't realize is that that's just what they do. But they, don't, they, don't, they do it for a reason, though. And they weren't ever clear about what that reason was. And we went through an exercise with them about a year and a year and a half ago. And they got present to the fact that actually what they do is keep children safe. Mm. And that's, that's what they determined was their business. So they weren't in the crossing guard business. Uh-huh. They were in the business of keeping children safe. And that totally changed the way they looked at their business. And I'll give you an example. Uh-huh. In one situation, they had you know, these people working two, three hours a day. And they're trying to think, well, how can I get them working longer? Uh-huh. So they thought, you know, given that they're, they're a crossing guard company, you know, the word guard, well, maybe we should get into the security guard business and, and, and provide guards, these same people, to local businesses that need security guards to watch their inventory, their facilities, or whatever. And once they, once they got clear in terms of they weren't, they weren't a crossing guard company, they were a 
Sleeping Children's Safe Company. Mm -hmm. So they immediately realize that that is not the direction they need to go in. They need to look at other opportunities inside of keeping children safe. Mm -hmm. And what they came up with was this opportunity to provide safety, safety aids and, and other kinds of aids on the school campus where they were working as another way of keeping their people busy. And that was a way of, of, of seeing how purpose can really make decisions more effective if you operate inside of the right context. Well, let's carry that example out a little further. Let's say they hadn't gone through that strategizing process and they said, no, we're going to go ahead and we'll provide security guards for uh, you know, the local drugstore and other places. Our crossing guards will, will also take on some of these responsibilities. Would the problem then have been with the employees becoming disenchanted uh, or what kind of problems would they have run into likely if they went that direction? It's amazing. You know, when you talk to these crossing guards, you know, they know the children that they work with. Mm -hmm. And there's a very close relationship between the, the children that cross and the families that live in that neighborhood. They have a connection to that, to that particular neighborhood. And, and it's built over years. It's amazing, the stories you hear. And so these are people that really care about the children. Mm -hmm. and, and that gives them a sense of involvement and purpose in what they're doing on a personal level. That's a lot different than being a guard at night or some other part of the day in a warehouse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just a different relationship, and I think it would definitely have affected. It would just be a job, in other mm -hmm. words. You would not have the engagement that they have knowing that they're making a huge difference for these people. Now, these, these are great insights, and basically they're things that what you're arguing for is every single company, every entity needs to be looking at why they do what they do and, in fact, what makes them unique, in fact, right? Right. Getting clear in terms of why you do what you do is perfectly said perfectly. That is exactly what they need to get clear on. And then they have to frame it in a way that is meaningful and important to their stakeholder world. Because sometimes they have to use different language to really um, affect people and have it resonate with people. So it's one thing to get, to get some idea and discover what it might be for your organization. But then you have to think about how is it affecting the people that you need to be crusading with you. Because mm -hmm. every business should be on a crusade. Every business should be trying to change the world in some way that's meaningful and important to their stakeholder world. Wow. Now, that's, that sounds like a high order. Every business should be trying to change the world? Well, it does in a small way. I mean, you know, it takes a lot of, takes a lot of changes. Remember, we have millions of companies. Uh -huh. and, and imagine a world in which every business was committed to making a profound difference in the world. Wow. I mean, what, what kind of world would that be? You know, most of the great changes have, done, have, have occurred in for-profit enterprises. Hmm. That's where all the talent is. That's where all the organizational skills have been put. And what if all of these organizations were put to good? It, they are already in a way, but they're not delivered in a context where it's really meaningful and important. And when you change the context, you transform what you're doing into something much bigger. You know, I think one of the difficult things, though, that uh, kind of clouds the dialogue, Paul, is many people, when they're in business, they look at business as largely being a competitive environment. You've got these other competitors out there. The stakeholders are the same. You're competing 
for the interests, for the business, for the goodwill of the same people. And it often, in many minds, sets up uh, an adversarial relationship rather than a relationship where everyone's looking out for the common good. Is that a, a justified way of looking at some of those business dynamics? Yeah, I think you can look at life that way. You can also look at life instead of as a threat, as an opportunity. Hmm. Because your competitors are your stakeholders, right? You're impacted by them. They, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, you impact them. You have that relationship. And if you could get clear, and you know, it, it turns out that many of your competitors may have the same purpose you have, or they may have some other purpose. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they're committed to doing good. They could be, let's put it that way, if they had taken on this style of management. If you could if you could connect with them in a way that they can see that it's meaningful and important in terms of what we're all doing, then there are opportunities to actually work together in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I think competition is healthy, and it's also useful. Because, you know, if you're going to be on a crusade, you need a lot of crusaders. Mm-hmm. So you can't do it all. You need, you need assistance from others, and some of those are going to be your competitors. Paul, what you're sharing is making a lot of sense to a lot of people. For some people, you're kind of already causing them to uh, push the boundaries a little bit in their thinking. You are not just talking on radio shows about this. You've actually put together materials that can help businesses be successful. Tell us a little bit about the resources that you have available. So back in 2005, I, I thought of this idea back in 2000. One, and it actually took about five years for it to percolate through and figure out what I was really trying to do. But starting in 2005, I started working on this issue. And I was, okay, it's one thing to say you need a purpose, and then you need to uh, enroll other people. But, you, but how do you do that? How do you do all this? Mm-hmm. So I, I started working on developing a style of management, which I call purposeful behavior. And I started experimenting with my clients and using that, this, this approach. And as I did that, I I developed these practices, put it in a book called Thriving in a Stakeholder World, Purpose as a New Competitive Advantage, which uh, came out in 2015, the latter part of 2015. And then then I formed a foundation called the Foundation for Purposeful Organization. And its purpose is to bring this style of management into the world business community, to have it be the best practice. Because in my mind, this is the most efficient way of having organizations operate in their market. Well, Paul, you've definitely got our interest. We want to hear more about your book, more about your foundation. We have to step away for just a couple of minutes. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking with Paul Ratoff. Paul is uh, an author. He's a financial consultant. He's helping businesses thrive, and he's got more information for you. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Guaranteed medical unit. Respond to 102 Maple Avenue. Possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Paul Radhoff. We're speaking about how businesses can not only survive but thrive, and it involves purposeful behavior. It's a style of management that uh, Paul Radhoff has developed and that he's written about and is sharing on the airways, whether it's television, whether it's radio, through the Internet. You've really been getting the word out lately, Paul. How many appearances have you done just in the last uh, month or two? Is that a fair question to ask you? Um, I do some speaking, and then I do uh, some of these radio interviews, uh, probably a half a dozen. Wow. So you're getting the word out uh, every week, presenting, sharing. How is the book doing at this point? It's it's doing well. It's doing well. Um, I think the main way I'm going to get this idea across is through the foundation. Mm-hmm. The foundation is going to be critical for really spreading the word. That's why I formed the foundation. And so that organization is the foundation for purposeful organizations. Is that right? Yes, Foundation for Purposeful Organizations, FFPO. And that's you can actually find it uh, on the website ffpo.org. Okay, ffpo.org, and I can get your books and other things through the foundation, or do I need to go to a separate website for that? That you would go to radoffconsulting.com, and then you could click on the book, and that would take you right to Amazon. Okay, so Radoff Consulting, R-A-T-O-F-F, consulting.com. Well, let's come to the question, Paul, that I think has been probably in a lot of people's minds, has been in mine as we're talking about all this. We speak about organizations. A lot of people think, well, you're talking about the leadership, how the leadership can, you know, tap into the stakeholder values, stakeholder mentality. But what about the employees? I mean, how do you instill purpose and inspire employees? Can you help us understand that? Yes, I can, David. There, there really are three things that you need to do. You first, you first have to get them inspired. I mean, that's, that's critical. 
Mm-hmm. That's critical. And the way you do that is to is to language your, your purpose and frame it in a way that it actually is meaningful and important to them. They see it as being meaningful and important to them. It resonates with them. And they're excited about participating in your, what I call, crusade. Then the second, second thing is you really need to connect the dots. They have to see that what they're doing in the organization is directly related to fulfilling on that purpose. Hmm. And, of course, in order for them to see that, they, they have to know that what the organization is doing all the time is fulfilling on that purpose. And that's what I call making it real. Mm-hmm. And, what they, and, and the way you do that is you measure your success. Most organizations think of their success in terms of revenue, profit, performance, but they need to think of, their, uh, of a measurement of success in terms of the fulfillment of their commitment, their, their purpose which is a very it's just challenging, but most organizations, if they think about it and work on it, can come up with a measure of success. Mm-hmm. And when you are measuring your success towards achieving your purpose, that's really making it real for, for your employees. Give me uh, some examples of companies that may have not been measuring success in this important domain, began doing it, and saw a difference. Did any stories come to mind? Well, I've been working with this crossing guard company just to continue that story along, and, and they've had a hard time thinking about that. They were thinking, well, maybe we, we, we measure a uh, number of accidents that didn't occur or, or you know, our sales, but, they really, but none of it was kind of like inspiring to them. And, mm-hmm. and then we thought, well, what if we, what if we measure the number of people that actually use our services, that we, now it's all of the children. That we that we keep safe. Mm-hmm. You know, we could we could identify how many people generally cross at each of the intersections that we that we're responsible for, and there are thousands of them across mm-hmm. the country. We also go on to you know different campuses with our safety aids people, and uh, we can measure the number of people there. And and all of a sudden they start thinking, is oh my God, this this is millions of people that we're mm-hmm. affecting. And it really got them excited about it, and and that's what you want. You want to be able to find a measurement that really gets them excited about what they're up to, and they can see that they're making a difference. What is it about people that somehow, once you help them see that they're part of something bigger than what they imagine, this somehow motivates them even more? Why is that? Why aren't people just content to make a small difference in the small place that they're at? Well, I think we all want to make a difference in some way. And, and we're hungry for that, and we look for it everywhere. Most people don't find it in their work environment. Mm. Uh, matter of fact, there have been studies that shown that around only 30% of people are really engaged in their work in the United States, and that's a, that's a high number. It's much, much lower around the world. So people are, are looking for this. They're hungry for this. And when you put a person in a situation where they can actually see that they're making a difference in their work environment, where they spend most of their time, I mean, it's very powerful. And when you can affect the engagement of people in, it, in what they're doing, you can have a tremendous impact on productivity. Hmm. Tremendous. So a lot of the things that we measure using various business metrics, we might say, well, you know, we've got to improve efficiency, we have to improve productivity. But people aren't often 
in the management realm looking at some of these most important questions. And I think sometimes, I mean, just from my vantage point, Paul, you can tell me if, if this is true or not, but sometimes this gets into what some people would say are are spiritual issues. They're, they have to deal with meaning and purpose and values. And sometimes it almost seems that companies are unwilling to go there. Is that just my perception, or have you found some pushback with some of this as you work with different companies? Not really, as long as you keep it to the issue. In other words, if you keep it to the fact, like if all I'm talking about is, is keeping children safe, then you're not going to have any pushback. Mm-hmm. People, mm-hmm. Because people are excited about that. Right. And you know what? If they're not excited about it, they're probably working in the wrong place. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So I, I don't really see that as an issue as long as you keep it focused on purpose and not something else. So, so maybe where I'm going, and maybe it's partly colored by the healthcare industry in which I work, and sometimes I've heard polarizing discussions where certain medical services might be felt to be uh, a benefit to a certain segment of the population, and uh, other people may say, well, I have moral objections to delivering certain services. Those are against my uh, spiritual beliefs. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, give concrete examples, but I think a lot of people might be thinking, well, whether it's in the realm of certain uh, maternal and child services, whether it's in the realm of uh, sexually transmitted disease control, I mean, we could go through, you know, some broad categories and people would say, yeah, I could, I've heard some polarizing discussions where some people could be in the same industry but the businesses may have different purposes. So where I'm going with this, Paul, is if you clarify why you're doing what you're doing, there's the benefit of getting employees more engaged, but isn't there the potential, at least in some industries, that someone would say, oh, that's why you're doing this? Well, I'm not in it for that at all. And uh, you might actually uh, lose some people. Does, Does that not happen? I, sometimes it does. I think it's very important to have everybody on the same page. If people aren't really excited about what you're up to, they really aren't in the right place. Mm. They need to go to a place where they are excited about something. And it's just a question of redirecting resources. And it's very important from, a, from a, an effective operation to, to make sure that all of the people find your purpose meaningful and important. Otherwise, it becomes very toxic inside an organization if you don't have that. But it's also getting clear, so that companies have a big problem. They, you know, they have a purpose, and then they have the way they achieve that purpose. Mm-hmm. I call that their business model. Okay. What products they make, what services they provide, how they, what their revenue streams are, what their cost structure is, all of these things are, are the way they, they fulfill their purpose. Because, you know, you've got to take action. Mm-hmm. And that action's got to be sustainable over a long period of time. But what happens in most organizations is they fall in love with their business model and forget about the purpose. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's all about certain products. It's all about certain delivery systems. It's all about certain revenue streams. And, and, and you forget about, like, why am I doing this in the first place? And I think when you can get people present to why they're doing it in the first place, many of these other distractions clear away. And it becomes more clear in terms of what action organizations have to take. So, Paul, when you wrote the book, Thriving in a Stakeholder World, purpose as the new competitive advantage. Is it a practical book where you actually walk someone through what they would need to do in their organization to achieve this? Is it more 
giving general concepts. Give us a little bit better idea of what someone who picked up the book would, would benefit from. Okay. Well, the book has two parts, David. The first, the first part is building the case. This is a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So I have to build a case for this. I have to show people like why this is so critical and why is it in their self-interest to take this on. Right. The second half of the book discusses the different practices that would be useful in bringing purposeful behavior into reality within their organization. And I actually used, I created three companies uh, based on my experience with the hundreds of companies that I've worked with in my career. And then I show how these different companies, one's a restaurant chain, one's a specialty uh, fruit distributor, vegetable distributor, and another one is a vertical manufacturing operation that has retail stores and a website. So there's different kinds of businesses doing different kinds of things and showing how they take on these practices and how they can, and you can see how it affects their business and the decisions they make. Great, great. We're going to talk more about some of these examples, some things that people can learn, you tuning in can learn for your company, for your tribe, for your organization. Don't go away. Paul Radhoff will be back with more. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Stay tuned. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
You're back with the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I am Dr. David DeRose. With me, Paul Rathoff. Paul has been sharing with us some of the secrets of purposeful behavior. And I know uh, even though he's been giving us a lot of good insights, the thing that makes it really practical, Paul, for my listeners and for me personally is some of those stories, some of those success stories. Tell us uh, about another organization that you've worked with that caught this vision for purposeful behavior. Sure, be happy to, David. There's this client of mine uh, that's a, an e-tailer. They, uh, they sell auto parts. Doesn't sound too too exciting, but uh, they sell auto parts to the do-it-yourself market. Okay. And uh, they have a tremendous following uh, mm. in, in, the, in the cars, that, the brands that they support. And they started going through this practice uh, and this process about maybe a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. And they, they came up with a purpose that was to engage and empower our communities in the fulfillment of their automotive pursuits. Hmm. So for them, it's all about engaging and empowering their community, the community being the people that own the cars that they support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And primarily European cars. Oh, okay. People like to work on their cars. Mm-hmm. But then there are also people that just, you know, love their cars, but maybe they're threatened, they don't, you know, they, they, they're afraid to do things, so they need help. So they, they provide lots of, lots of help in that area. They have all kinds of articles that they can read in terms of how to fix their cars, and they have communities that, you know, blogs and, and various groups of people, communities of interest that, uh, that talk about this. So they have a huge following. And their business model is to, the way they get revenue to support support all this is to they sell the parts. So they were going through some strategic planning to see how they can grow grow their business and really expand their reach in terms of the number of people that they can affect in, in those specific brands that they support. And the way they started is started they started looking at their stakeholder world. Mm-hmm. This is where the power comes in, when you can combine purpose and stakeholder world. So they started looking at it. And seeing, you know, inside of a particular stakeholder world, they looked at the key stakeholders, okay? They looked at their customers, their current customers, their employees. They looked at, you know, some of their competitors were a fairly significant stakeholder group. Uh, it had a big impact on their business, very competitive. But then, then all of a sudden they noticed that there was a whole group of stakeholders that they'd forgotten about. Hmm. And these were the people that were enthusiasts, but not necessarily do-it-yourselfers, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like if you own a fancy car and, you know, you don't always want to work on it, you know, you want to bring it to the shop, you know, right, you're not a right. guy that opens the hood and takes out the parts, you know, not everybody's like that. But they have this relationship with the car as well, especially if it's, you know, like a Porsche or some kind of sports car. So... What they didn't, so they realized that they were so focused on the do-it-yourself market because that was their business model mm-hmm. that they had totally forgotten about the enthusiasts. Hmm. And it turns out that market is actually bigger. There are more people that own their the brands that they support that don't work on their cars, but they own these cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now they started thinking, my God, how can we engage and empower these people? Obviously, we're not going to do it by getting to change the oil or, you know, or, or fix the brakes or whatever, but they're going to have to find other ways. So it became a great opportunity for them 
to expand their reach. Huh, interesting. And fulfill on their purpose they had not considered before. So, so where did they go with that? What actually did they do to expand their reach? Well, they started talking to people that actually, you know, are excited about their cars, but they don't, they, they bring it to the shop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And find out well what what do they need and how they can get them involved and, and they're in that they're in that discussion and conversation as we speak, but they will eventually find answers for that. I mean because there are these people do need things that will help engage and empower them in in the pursuit of their interest in their cars because a car is a very important part of their lives. So their business started up around supplying parts for cars to do-it-yourselfers. But now as they engage with people who have no thought of ever buying parts from their uh, uh, web stores, basically they're engaging with, and what likely is going to come out of this, at least in your thinking, is they'll probably develop some other resources that may be made available for sale to this other portion of their stakeholder uh, marketplace, if you will? Yes, and and you know, they they can reexamine their their business model too. You know, the key is is your purpose. If if you're committed to engaging and empowering your community in the fulfillment of your automotive pursuits, that's what you're in business for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the way you fulfill on that today may not be the same as the way you fulfill on that tomorrow. I mean, we're going into a shared economy, right? People right. are not necessarily buying cars the same way. Maybe they're sharing in cars. Mm-hmm. So maybe there'll be different ways of engaging and empower people in this area. And you always have to be open to that. But you can't if you're stuck inside of a business model. Mm-hmm. So you have to get think outside the box, outside of your business model, and how you can fulfill on your purpose. Well, I mean, it's very interesting dialogue because I, I think a lot of companies do start up with just the business model, they think it would be great to get into that marketplace and supply parts to this uh, segment of the population. And this uh, purpose may be something that actually drove them into that business. Or I'm thinking, as I'm listening to you, Paul, that some people may really only grasp the purpose that they are actually in the midst of once they're doing what they're doing. Is that possible that it never even occurred to them who they were really facilitating in the work that they're doing? Most companies are really not present to why they're in business. Hmm. It, it may have existed at some time in their life, but that's long past. And now it's all about the business model. So it's getting in touch with that. It's almost like psychoanalysis, mm-hmm, <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to discover, because you don't create a purpose that's not already there. It, it exists. It's just you have to somehow, you know, find it. You have to discover it. And that, that, there's a process for doing that. So, Paul, I know what we're saying can make a huge impact on people that are decision makers at a corporate level. But Many more people who tune into this show are not in that capacity. What can someone who's an employee who's listening and saying, boy, I wish I knew what my purpose was in this company. I wish the company was just clear on what the purpose was because I thought I was getting into this for X, Y, and Z reasons, but I never hear anyone at corporate articulate those sentiments. 
what can a rank and file employee do that would make any difference uh, in this whole process? Well, uh, I think it it can start from just asking that question: hmm. what, Why are we doing this? Why are we in business? And asking it in a you know in a in an inquisitive way, not not like a threatening way. You okay. Know, like, why am I doing this like I shouldn't be doing this? Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, just inquiring about, like, what's behind it? And maybe just start that conversation. And maybe it'll go somewhere, maybe it, maybe it won't. But it, it's, always, it's always useful to start that conversation. No, I appreciate that. And I think a lot of times people underestimate their value, whether it's organizationally, whether it's in a tribe, whether it's in a, in a council meeting. When someone raises their voice and asks questions, it um, it can make even the people that we think are calling the shots more introspective, and it actually can uh, be the type of questioning that does promote change. I, I think so, David. One of the things that I've noticed: you work for companies, and you and you see employees doing a certain job, and then you find out that these same people are running this nonprofit enterprise or involved in this unbelievable undertaking, people's capacity. We, we so underutilize their capacity in, in an organization. Mm-hmm. We don't tap into that. We, we don't get the value of the people that we actually hire. So it's having a purpose that kind of releases that for organizations. If you can just get more than that 2% of the potential that you get and I just made that up, but mm-hmm. it's a very small number of the potential we really use of the people we employ. We could just tap into that greater potential. And they'll provide that if they're, if they're excited about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, this is great because I think, like you mentioned, one of the big challenges, I think you gave a statistic of you know, 70% of employees, you didn't use maybe the term disconnected, but they're disconnected at least as far as the uh, any sense of real meaning that they're getting from their job, if we could just uh, really ramp those figures up and have people really invested in what's going on, it would really make a tremendous difference in our communities and in our businesses, wouldn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. We would be so much more effective. And and the reason we are so much more effective in the United States than anywhere else is because even only th- even though it's only 30%, it's twice the amount everywhere else in the world. Wow. So what, what you're telling me is most people are working just because it's a job. They're not working. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's definitely the case from uh, things that I've seen over the years. Let me ask you this, Paul, because in your book, I know you give a number of scenarios, as, as you mentioned to us. One of those scenarios is in the uh, restaurant industry. I think probably many of us, myself included, uh, some of my first jobs were in the restaurant industry. For those who are meeting the public in a venue like that, are there unique challenges uh, in that type of environment? Well, I think every every business is unique in the way it operates. And, and uh, you know, when you're in it, you think it's the, the most difficult but having been involved in all different kinds of industries, even the ones that look difficult, mm-hmm. but there are so many businesses that look simple on the outside, but when you get into them, they're very complex. Okay. It's just different kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. So I'm not so sure it's any, any more difficult. But whenever you're doing a business that 
you're in service to people, mm-hmm. like the restaurant business, right? It's 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 very easy to find a purpose that can be inspiring for people because you are already in service. It's clear from what you're doing that you're in service to people. Mm. So finding that purpose that resonates with you will, would not be difficult, and to and it's very easy to understand your stakeholder world. Really, most people limit themselves to thinking about their target market, mm-hmm. but that's only a one piece of their stakeholder world. There's so many other stakeholders that impact the success of a retail business, especially retail. You've got the communities they're located in. There's just so many other issues that, that come up. There, there are all of the agencies that have to monitor their performance. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that are going to make decisions that are going to affect that business's survival. And wouldn't it be great if they were all pulling for you? Wow. These are profound questions, and you've been giving us a lot to think about, Paul. I know you've got things that will wind up this discussion, give us a lot of uh, uh, really insights that we can take and run with. That's coming up in our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. We've got to step away just for a moment. We'll have information when we come back about how to benefit from Paul's uh, wisdom over three decades of work in this industry. And... uh, You don't want to miss that. Stay tuned. We will be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back for the final segment in a dialogue between Dr. David DeRose, that's me, and Paul Radhoff. Paul is a financial consultant, and Paul, as I mentioned that, people have been listening from the beginning of the show. They're probably, at least some of them, scratching their head. They're saying, financial consultant? I mean, that doesn't really sound like that's what we've been speaking about. How do you respond to that, uh, that reaction? You know, it's true. I've been a financial consultant most of my career, probably all of my career. And maybe in the last 20 years, I've been involved in business strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the book came out as a business strategy. But it really is based on the fact that companies are not efficient, and they don't last because they get into trouble. Mm. And they get into trouble because they get off course. They don't stay focused. So in my financial practice, it's all about focus. How do you keep people focused and develop a context to, to create that? And it just turned out that this way of operating your business, this style of management, forces organizations to focus hmm. and to stop making mistakes that take you off course. And that's the, one of the biggest problems. You know, companies that are successful, the more a company is successful, the more opportunities come their way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's getting clear which opportunities they should be taking on and which ones they shouldn't. That's where they get into trouble. And it's all through focus. Boy, this is this is uh, definitely stuff worth considering. Whether you're working with a tribal-owned entity, whether you're in another setting, whether you're on a tribal council talking about maybe some commercial interests that your tribe owns, whether you're tuning in today, you don't have any Native American roots, but you just enjoy listening to American Indian Living. Paul has been giving us some real food for thought. And Paul, I know there's a lot of folks listening that are going to want to take advantage of your book, some of your other resources. Remind us again about the book and how someone can get a copy of it. Uh, The easiest way, David, is for them to go onto my website, radoffconsulting.com, and on, on the front, on the first page, all they have to do is click on the book, and that'll take them to Amazon, and then they can order it that way. Okay, so simply Radoff, R-A-T-O-F-F, consulting.com, and there's a link right on that uh, homepage for the book. Yes, and they can, that'll take them right to Amazon, and they can order it in any form they, they would like. Great. Well, that makes it very easy. Let's bring this all back together again, because I think the thing that engages us most are those stories. You talked with us about a couple of different companies that you've worked with. We started talking about food service. Uh, We talked about the restaurant industry. I know you've had some work with a specialty foods company as well. Would that be a good uh, example to talk about at this point? Sure, sure. This is a company that that actually uh, sells fresh fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. to large retail chains and all, all across the country and restaurants and wholesalers. So they're a fairly large enterprise, and that's what they do. And uh, I started working with them many, many years ago, uh, and we went through the process of figuring out like what really they were committed to, and it turned out that somebody had written an article about them, and in that article they they said that here's a company that's changing the way America eats. Hmm. And they thought, wow, that's kind of cool. 
that's really what we are. Huh. So they took that on as their purpose. Uh-huh. So that so what they're committed to is changing the way America eats, especially in the area of fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh-huh. Excellent. They they sell these uh, exotic types of vegetables, really interesting fruits and vegetables that you might not normally see. And so their purpose is changing the way Americans eat or people eat or how, how yeah, change the way America eats fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. They're they're concerned about people's health. That's great. And it's not just health, but it's health and joy. That's mm-hmm. that's what's behind it for them. Mm-hmm. Because for every solution, there's this problem. There's a specific problem that they're addressing. That's sort of in the way of some bigger, bigger underlying condition. And for them, that underlying condition was people's health and joy. You know, foods were not exciting for people anymore. People were eating the wrong foods. They were, they were unhealthy. We have a significant weight problem in the United States. So how do you address that? And, and they believe it, it's through eating the right fresh fruits and vegetables, especially the ones that are exciting and tasty. And, you know, if we just changed our diet. So they're on this crusade, and they really call it that. That's how they call it in their business, to change the way America eats. That's their tagline. But the objective is to have them start eating more fresh fruits and vegetables. So it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about, you know, historically people would say, well, this is included in a, in a mission statement. Are we really talking about a, a similar concept, or is this uh, much broader than that? No, it, it, you can use the word mission or purpose interchangeably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think they, they work fine. It, you know, it's a mission. You know, remember in the old days they were missionaries? Right, right. So their missions, their crusades, it's all the same. It's all the same. It's being committed to something big that's going to be meaningful and important to your stakeholder world. And then fulfilling on that. So what was interesting for them, they were doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, they had various, they were selling to anybody and everybody. But when they got clear what they were committed to, like changing the way America eats, mm-hmm. not just their local environment or just not, not just their customers, they had to start thinking much bigger. Hmm. And they developed a sense of urgency around what they were up to. They, for example, had a farmer's market going mm-hmm. that they would run in their, in their large operation. They had a large parking area. They'd invite local people. It took a lot of resources. But it really wasn't changing the, the world much. Mm-hmm. You know, it had very little impact. So they stopped doing that. They, they realized that they need to put their resources more effectively in areas that are going to really make a difference. Hmm. And they realized that was in the large retail chains. If they could get into more large retail chains, they could touch more people and mm-hmm. affect more people. Mm-hmm. If you could get these unusual fruits and vegetables in mainstream markets, then you're going to have much greater impact. And that's what they did, and they focused on that. And it had a significant impact on their business success. So when we talk about these unusual fruits and vegetables, I mean, I'm thinking of, of traveling to different parts of the world. Uh, I mean, sometimes you'll hear of these unusual uh, fruits, uh, maybe like the durian from Asia. I mean, are these the kind of things we're talking about? or Some are like that. Some are just the organic versions of, of what's currently available. Oh, okay. Or different varieties of bananas that you might not see or or other kinds of fruits, but basically not that standard. There's probably, I don't know, 20 standard fruits and vegetables, or fruits at least, that uh, that are in the market. Mm-hmm. But it's going beyond that. Okay, very interesting. 
So, so we talk a lot in business circles about the bottom line. You alluded to that, I think, uh, if not on the air during one of the breaks where you and I were speaking. Mm-hmm. What happens uh, in that regard? I mean, how, are, how is a company like this one that we're talking about right now doing uh, as far as their you know, financial uh, aspects of the business since getting this uh, kind of insight into their, uh, their purpose? I think it's very, very helpful in terms of helping organizations be more successful and more profitable in building, building their sales and everything else associated with the business. Obviously, you can't just have purposeful behavior. There are a lot of other elements that make businesses successful. You mm-hmm. have to have the right product. You have to have the right people. You have to have the right leadership. I mean, there are a lot of, and, and you have to have the right strategy. You know, there are a lot of pieces to mm-hmm. the puzzle in right. making an organization successful. But behind that, in support of that, there needs to be a purpose, a clear purpose the organization is, is pursuing. And then its actions and its strategic behavior and its actions have to be aligned with that. And its stakeholder world needs to be engaged in and in support of that. So you need all of those elements. Mm-hmm. You need all of those elements. And when you have purposeful behavior as part of that, you will just be more efficient in the sense that you'll be able to do more with less resources. You'll be able to leverage your resources much more effectively. Instead of getting 30% from your employees, you can get 90% from your Mm. employees. You don't have to pay them premiums. You don't have to bribe people to work for you. They'll want to work for you. No, that's a great point. Great point. And it's it's not just your employees. It's it's your suppliers that will help you figure out what you need. And Mm. it's your customers that will stay loyal to you and tell you what's missing. You know, that's that's where you get the leverage. It's leveraging the resources. That's why I'm a finance guy. It's all about leverage. How do you leverage the resources you have? If you engage them effectively in what you're up to and they find it meaningful and important, they will support you because wow. it makes a difference to them as well. That's how it affects the bottom line. Well, Paul, I think you've communicated your message. Paul Radoff, a financial consultant, he is an author of a book that uh, you are likely wanting to pick up. Paul, we are just about out of time, but one more time, the title of the book and where folks can get it. It's Thriving in a Stakeholder World, Purpose as the New Competitive Advantage. It's available in, on Amazon under my name. It's easy to find. Okay, we got to run. I'm Dr. David DeRose. That was Paul Radoff, R-A-T-O-F-F. Hopefully, today's show has made a difference in your outlook. It'll make a difference in businesses, organizations that you're involved with, and a difference in the world. For all of us in American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.